0: Hello and welcome to episode 30 of the Page One Podcast. I'm Tarek.
1: I'm Marco. Episode 30, Tarek.
0: Episode 30? What a uh, milestone?
1: I know it's it's almost as old as you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm actually only 21. <laughs> You yeah. just look a lot older.
1: It's about half my age. Um, <laughs> not really, I'm joking. Uh, no,
0: it's a third of his age.
1: Yeah, exactly. Thanks very much for tuning in to the Page One podcast, uh, where we like to speak to writers of all kinds about uh, their writing, their writing process, their work. I'm really just trying to get as many hints and tips as we can from from all these great authors that we've had on the podcast, like Sarah Pimbra, David Baldacci, Andy McNab, Mark Billingham. So many great authors have come on this podcast, and screenwriters, and video game writers, and comic writers. So please do check out the, the past episodes. Hope you're all doing okay this week, of course, because we continue in the lockdown in the UK, and I think in <laughs> mo- across most of the world at this point.
0: How has uh, your last week of lockdown been, Marco?
1: Um, yeah, I've been in the house, which is what you're meant to do, I think.
0: It's it's so, it's still so strange, isn't it? I'll, you know, I think we've reached that point in the first, because we've all been working from home, obviously, for the past mm-hmm. three weeks, and the first week is a bit of a novelty are kind of like, oh, this is nice to get a little lion and yeah. put the dinner on, but, and, and then by week three, you're kind of like, this is just it's not, it's, it's kind of worn off a
1: little bit now, isn't it? I mean, uh, yeah, it's a bit like uh, in my day job, I actually work from home quite a lot anyway. So it wasn't that massive a change at first, except that I had the rest of the family here as well. But like you say, it's it's the fact that you can't go out and do these things that is the, yeah. It's it does start to weigh on you. You know, just even to go to the pub for a drink or, meet some yeah, friends Yeah, it's, it's all the little like moments yeah. when you're like, mm-hmm.
0: oh, it'd be nice to go and oh, I can't see that person, or yeah, yeah, I can't go out for dinner, or I can't get a takeaway. And and we can't internet, even so.
1: record the this no, in person, exactly, obviously. Yeah. We're doing it over over uh, the internet. But anyway, uh, we're rambling on about that too much, and the whole point of this is to help distract you for an hour. So, uh, exactly, we've, exactly. We've, we've got a great distraction for you this week. Great author. Who is it, Tarek?
0: We do indeed. His name is Struan Murray, and he is a... A uh, new author who's been—it's uh, one of these things where it's an, it's an author who's been working for a long time, but his first book's just out. Yeah, Orphans of the Tide—it's a—it's a fantastic read. It's a dark and kind of kind of gothic kids fantasy novel. Uh, Northern Lights comparisons been made—that's that, that yeah. kind of feel to it, I think.
1: Yeah, it's been compared to you know amazingly compared to Philip Pullman, you know, which isn't bad for your debut <laughs> novel. Um,
0: fantastic comparison to be made.
1: And I've been reading the the book to. Uh, my daughters and they're really enjoying it and I'm really enjoying it as well. So it's one of these books that is aimed at kids, but the um, adults can enjoy as well. Cause it does have that dark side to it that, that, um, yeah. you know, it's not all twee and sweet, which some kids books having read a lot of them it <laughs> uh, <laughs> can be. So no, it's, it's really good. Really recommend it. And it was a really great chat we had with Stroom.
0: Yeah, it was. He was a really nice guy. And I think like so many authors we've chatted to before, the process that he took to get the book out there is quite long, yeah. and it's all about the perseverance. You know that he's written. I think it was a couple of the the book. The final book is in no way resembles the book that he started with, and it just shows you that the most people's first books they write is not the book that fi- finally. Yeah,
1: um, and shows. we actually chat to him about about that about knowing. You know how how do you know you, you, when you when you're first writing a book? I think. You, you pour everything into that first book and you want to say, this is my book. So it's a difficult thing for someone that hasn't been published and everything to say, right, no, I spent all this time writing this, but I'm just going to yeah. put it to the side and I'm going to start yeah. something else. I mean, it, it, I think the first thing he wrote, I think he tells us is a, an adult sci-fi book. And then he's, he's now That's right. obviously changed quite dramatically what he's writing, but, but it, this is where he's found his voice. So I think going through that process helps you find your voice and everything.
0: Yeah, and it is a skill in knowing not only how much to put in, but what to take out of something. Because I think, as you, as, as you say, you're right, when it's your first book, the temptation is there to put everything into, to hold nothing back, and you overstuff it. And I think it's important to know you want to make it as sleek and as slim as possible, and just the bare bones that to carry through without being blamed down with all this crap you don't need. And that's hard to know where
1: to go. Definitely. Well, he, like I say, he chats to us about that. He chats about the value of writing courses. And he also Mm -hmm. had an interesting experience where he got to, he interned at a few agencies, so got to know the publishing industry and people in the publishing industry, which obviously helped as well. So it's a really great chat, really interesting. So uh, I hope you enjoy it. We'll get on with the chat, but first we're going to uh, have a quick little ad for our writer's notebook that we've designed and then after that, we'll get into the interview with Struhn. And after that, we'll be back with a bit more chat.
0: Perfect. See you then.
1: The blank page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow.
0: But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start, who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read, or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning.
1: As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings.
0: Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made page one.
1: Page one is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project. Divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story, so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions.
0: Each one is designed for one project. Whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic, or any other kind of story, we truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps.
1: We can't wait to read what you come up with.
0: And remember, every story starts with page one.
1: Did you always want to be a writer?
2: Um, I think I um, I was always I was always very big on sort of telling stories. Um, I used to do make my own comic book when I was at primary school. Um, I used to sell it. Uh. Just forced parents to buy it for like twenty pence. (laughs) Um, It was because I had a real addiction to uh, Pokemon cards. Right, (laughs) like eight, eight or nine, Um, and so. But I was, they were so expensive that I would sort of make my own, Um, and they just looked like flimsy and rubbish. But um, so I I decided, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I need a money making scheme. Making my own comic book and selling it to parents, um, but yeah, uh, and then I think it was when I was about eleven or twelve, and I wrote this really bloodthirsty. Um, it's about like a detective in the kind of vein of uh, like Dick Tracy, right. kind of really like, un, like just st- weirdly uh, bloodthirsty for a for a
1: child.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and i remember and i thought it was kind of crap but then i showed it to my stepmom's uh brother who was this real like american kind of kind of um classical like almost like a cowboy or at least i thought he was as a yeah. kid anyway uh-huh. um and he just laughed and laughed reading it i think he just found it so funny that this 11 year old kid <laughs> the scene where the the detective like kills a guy in a bar and then drinks the guy's Bloody Mary and then leaves. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think it was that kind of, wow, this, this person really likes this story. And I think that was the kind of, it was almost that kind of buzz of like, wow, you yeah. Really yeah. Really like this. Um, but then I, I think I didn't really write much at all until I got to university and I was, became, a, uh, you know, a, my day job became going into the lab mm um and dealing with the pernicious sort of nature of uh experiments which are so often so often don't go your way mm-hmm. and, and when you are a scientist you get very emotionally invested in in your science and in your experiments because and, and you and you fall into this trap of kind of equating your own sort of self-worth with the the success of your own experiments um and so as a Coping mechanism for that, I, re- I realized I needed something else to kind of be emotionally attached to, um, and so I decided to pick up storytelling again. Um, but it was like a, it was like my dirty secret for years. I didn't tell anyone mm-hmm. actually. I was, it felt sort of shameful almost, which I think here is something that writers, lots of writers, can attest to. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think it was one of my best friends, kind of he kind of came out as a writer to me and I was like oh wow so am I <laughs> and that's what oh, I blew my mind and then I think I shared something of mine that I'd written to him and he he loved it and that was the kind of then I was felt brave enough to start going I started going to writing groups mm-hmm. and um I thought mean- actually the, the first time I went to a writing group I was I genuinely Locked myself in a toilet for about half an hour beforehand, thinking I was going to be sick. Just sort of clapping my this manuscript I was going to take in to have them read, uh-huh. um, and just reading it and rereading it, thinking, "Wow, this is this is rubbish." But um, I well, they, mean, that
1: that's a feeling that I think you know i i I would definitely be in the same position if I, if mm-hmm. I sharing that thing that you've you've been writing, you've been spending all this time writing yourself. But then actually giving it to someone, especially if it's someone that you don't know, yeah, to judge it is a is a huge huge step, and I think it's something that a lot of you know um, aspiring writers struggle with. I think, but, yeah. it, but was it a worthwhile thing to do in the end?
2: Oh, absolutely. I think mainly because it suddenly made it feel real to me. Uh-huh. It was no longer this sort of ephemeral cloud in my head. It was you know a tangible thing that other people spoke about. It also really helped. Again, I think, like I was saying with science, like with, with writing, you start to you sometimes forget that it's just a story and that it's not a reflection of you in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, so you start to you, you fear what people might think because you fear you think if they don't like the, your story, then they don't like you. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Um, Just to hear people talk about my work at one of these groups in a, in a like a in a very Kind but quite kind of detached way, as if you know they they really are just talking about this story. Mm -hmm. They're not talking about you. And it helped me to realize, okay, you know, my stories are not me, and so I shouldn't be judged when people have constructive criticisms about my own work. Mm
0: -hmm. And also, I'd imagine going from from science to creative writing. You know, Um, you're taught to write in science, but it's a really specific type of writing. It's really um, and clinical and papers, reports, and stuff, and to switch from that into into creative is, is such a different knack, and that must have been quite a difficult change, I would have thought, or a yeah, refreshing yeah. change perhaps. A what sorry? Like a refreshing change, maybe like a you know you don't really get that creative outlet in science.
2: Yeah, it is. It, it's refreshing in some ways. It's you know the the freedom to write whatever you want is is wonderful at first, and then just terrifying yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So a point, yeah. kind of terror because <laughs> science like you, you know you have real things to talk about and and that helps um and your ultimate goal is clarity you know you're just trying to be as clear as you can mm-hmm. and get a point across in as few words as possible um and then with creative writing you know it's it's a thing in your head that you're trying to get out onto the page. And so it can be, it can be a a different sort of torment, but it's a, it is a nice change. I do enjoy switching from one to the next.
1: And Um, yeah, I read that you took, did you uh, take part in the Curtis Brown creative uh, course? And uh, how did that help?
2: Uh, I think that was a really important thing that I did actually. Um, I think almost i think the the best thing about it was kind of similar to what i said before it was it was seeing the publishing industry and realizing that this is just a real industry of people um again because before that they were just this frightening non-entity this kind of frightening mm-hmm. invisible force to be reckoned with who would you know pick up your manuscript and just laugh at it and then throw it away <laughs> So it helped just meet people from the publishing industry and see that they're just people and that they really care about writing and reading and, and that they're very passionate. Um, and it also, it, again, it was, I, I got to meet a whole load of different writers, kind of aspiring writers like myself, um, of all different kind of, from all different kind of walks of life and ages, um, which was, again, a very important, Thing for me, I think, just to see. Okay, this is how these people think, mm-hmm. and um, and their feedback was just amazing.
1: And um, when you were there, like, how does the course work? Were you working on what became Orphans of the Tide when you were doing that um, course, or no, was it something actually, different?
2: I, so the it was. I was working on the first novel that I ever wrote,
1: mm-hmm.
2: which actually an adult sci-fi novel, right? Um. Trying to kind of uh, get across the strangeness of what it's like to be in a in a science lab, um, t- and kind of taking it all to extremes. But it was, um, yeah, very very different thing from what I ended up writing, mm-hmm. Orphans of the Tide. Um, but still, I mean, it was still a huge, hugely helpful. Um, I th- I th- I mean, I think I had also kind of fallen into the trap of thinking you know i have to write something that's like worthy and art, you know artistic yeah. and like groundbreaking rather than just writing the story i really just wanted to write yeah all along, which turns out was a you know a children's fantasy novel mm-hmm. um and so it, it did also kind of help me reckon with that and think actually i'd rather just write i'd rather yeah. just write a the kind of story that I would have liked to read
1: as a kid. And yeah, fact. I mean, yeah, we were discussing that with with uh, one of our other guests, which is that I think there can be that sort of pressure, or you can sometimes feel that pressure to write. You know, that you have to write something that aspires to be a Booker Prize winner or some sort of great mm-hmm. literary fiction. But if you, if if it's not true to what you enjoy writing, uh, sorry, then. It, that will often come through in the writing itself. Uh, you know, when I write, I want to I want to find out what's happening, what's going to happen in the story, because I'm invested and in, interested in the story. So it turns into a sort of story that, of the type of books that I read. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah. So what, what made you think, or, or what was the decision-making process that, that said, right, I'm going to stop the adult sci-fi and I'm going to start writing the children's fantasy? When did that happen?
2: um i think i i think i needed a break i think i mean the the sci-fi novel was my first ever novel and i think i had got so caught up in it and i think this often happens with people with their first novels they just they just so want it to work and they will and they you know and and it's it's you know it's a proving ground you're kind of you're, te- you're, you're learning all these things for the first time about how you write a novel mm-hmm. um, and, it, you know, it's your first your first bicycle, right? Like, you're just um, you're throwing everything at it that you have, like creatively, every kind of clever idea that you think you've ever had, you're trying to distill it into this one novel. And so it just ended up being this big mess. And I think, you know, there's stuff in there that I like and, that mm-hmm. I may, and I, maybe I'll revisit in five years or ten years' time. But it had become too bound up in my head with, you know, the idea of writing your first great novel, and it, yeah. I just realised I need to put it away, um, from just to have some breathing space, and I was able to start a new new novel with much more kind of clarity and um, kind of less clutter in my head.
0: Yeah, and and once you'd finished uh, doing doing the book. You, mm-hmm. Did you have an agent at that point? Did, I know the Curtis Brown course is quite big, and and mm-hmm. does that lead to getting an agent at all, or
2: is that a step um, on that path? Yeah, it can, it can. And, and, and in fact, in my case, it, it 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 did land me an agent, although by a slightly circuitous route. Um, so I was, I mean, so I was doing my PhD at the time of the Curtis Brown course, um, and I was lucky, and part of my PhD involved a three-month internship um and i was a little i was a bit sneaky because it was ostensibly supposed to be something to do with science (laughs) but i thought wow here's my chance why don't i go and i work in the publishing industry for three months um and i actually went and did some internships at literary agencies wow cool um and so i meant so I, i live in oxford normally but i moved to london for three months um, I was, you know, I was able to sort of crash on a friend's couch um, and I went to literary agencies by day and then I went to the Curtis Brown course by night. So I was just kind of living and breathing mm-hmm. the industry for three months, um, which was such an amazing opportunity. Um, and um, so what I did was kind of towards the end of the Curtis Brown course, I had kind of got... Uh, i I've written this other children's fantasy novel, which was supposed to be the part of um part of a trilogy um ironically, it was called Orphan, the Orphan in the Fire right. <laughs> um, even though so Orphans of the Tide is not a title I came up with okay. it was oh, right. okay cool, so happened that it was yeah um almost the same as my previous fantasy okay. novel um and I sent that off to one of the literary agencies that I'd worked for because they'd expressed an interest. Um, and then they offered me representation off the back of that. Um, and they were really great and so supportive, but I think ultimately they, would never really done, um, children's publishing before. They'd never really dealt with children's writers. Um, and so I think I, 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 just, I made the difficult choice further down the line that I needed, um, I needed someone who really knew children's yeah. writing, because um, that first children's fantasy it went out to it uh, went out to publishers. My agent sent it right. to publishers for about a year, I think, which was a very uh, a lot. And, I had, and I, I had no idea of what the time scales were supposed to be, mm-hmm. so I thought a year was just the kind of the norm. And you know, it can take that long, um, but you know, I was checking my Gmail yeah. like, every. Yeah. Twenty minutes I got you know, I got really obsessive about it. Um, That's a
0: long year to wait, I imagine.
2: Yeah. And in the end we did actually get a meeting with a publisher, a big publisher, and I was, you know, I was, oh, I was so excited. I, I um I cut short uh, I'd gone backpacking. Um and I cut that short and I came back for this meeting thinking this is it, this is the one, this is this, it's all gonna happen. And I had this hour-long meeting that for the first half hour was just like, just them telling me how much they liked my book. <laughs> like, well, this is just great. This is good, this... yeah. And then at oh. halfway through, this editor paused and then said, but we're not going to buy it <laughs> um, because it's part of a trilogy and no one's buying trilogies at the moment. Um, and we need you to go away and rewrite it as a standalone book. Or, or write some standalone book, uh-huh. um, and so, so I came away from that pretty desolate, um, and it took quite a while to kind of piece myself back together. Um, but I did end up writing a standalone fantasy novel, which is what Orphans of the Tide became. Um,
1: and was that linked at all to the first one, or was it a completely different story yeah. then?
2: Has some idea, some some of the same ideas. The first one was also set in this isolated city, um, a kind of post-apocalyptic city, but really like a you know a kind of gothic fantasy city. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it, 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 it was an important kind of proving ground. It was an important mm-hmm. kind of training, and in, in, in figuring out how to write yeah a fantasy novel that I wanted to
0: write. That sounds quite hard, though, having gone from from the from the high of a meeting in the first half hour to then get told yeah. to, to start from scratch, getting something new. That that's not an easy thing to do.
2: Yeah, and it got it was got harder because I then wrote that you know I wrote orphan what well, it was called the vessel originally, mm-hmm. orphans of the tide, and I still had the same agent, and we sent that out to um, a load of publishers. And I think it was a, another year of waiting. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> um, and it just wasn't um it wasn't landing. So what I failed to say was actually that it originally it was a YA novel. Mm-hmm. It, it, be- it became a middle grade children's novel at mm-hmm. a uh, later stage. But it re- originally it was YA. And I think for that reason it wasn't quite working because it I think it was a it was a YA that wanted to be a middle grade children's novel. Mm-hmm. Um, so what? I haven't figured that out yet.
1: Is it, what 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 aspects of it did you change then to you know to change that audience?
2: Um, in in many ways, I didn't have to change all that much, ex, except to say, you know, it was quite because I'm quite superficial. Things, it really, it was just a rebranding. It was just yeah. like, this is now a great novel, right? Okay. <laughs> make it fit those uh, specifications the word count had to come
0: down so I had to cut about a third right okay. um and is there violence or swearing Is that kind of thing have to get shifted about if you've got
2: yeah there was never any swearing actually um and the violence to be honest the violence has sort of stayed what violence there is there was a very uh there was a romance that in hindsight I realized was completely not working and should never have been there in the first place but i just felt like this is a why novel that has to have a romance mm-hmm. yeah um and so i'm so glad that that's not there anymore because <laughs> um, it really allowed the novel to breathe in other ways because yeah. it was no longer constrained by the kind of plot structure that a romance imposes um and uh and I mean, there was some of the more drier kind of. There was some more political stuff in there, almost kind of Game of Thronesy that that went. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it was actually it was a publisher again who I met with. They they were quite they were quite frank from the beginning, saying that they weren't ready to buy it yet. Unlike the previous publisher, thankfully, um, but they um, they did say um, that, that it should be middle grade. You know, it should mm-hmm. it should. Be YA and at the time I was like they can't be middle grade, how could I possibly do that um, but then what happened was I submitted the novel, actually on my girlfriend's advice so I'm pretty indebted to her for this I, indebted, I submitted it to a competition called the Bath Novel Award mm-hmm. yeah. Um, and thinking that, and, and by this point I'd actually abandoned all hope of this novel ever getting published I just thought okay this is um, this is just not going to happen. And I'd, I'd actually started writing other children's novels mm-hmm. by then. Um,
0: so, in the YA format at this point, when, when it was.
2: It was still in a YA format, yeah. I, I decided, to, because I felt like this novel couldn't be middle grade, um, I tried writing some other middle grade novels to see how what it was like and to see if it suited me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, <laughs> you know in a crazy kind of flurry, I wrote three middle grade novels, in the <laughs> year, um, wow. which I, I wish I could recapture that level of productivity because I don't think I've ever been that <laughs> with my writing. Um, and I submitted all three and the vessel, which would become orphans of the tide to um, the bath novel award. And, um, and then, ironically, it was the vessel that got shortlisted of of those, um, and then it went on to win. Um, and it was because of getting shortlisted actually that Curtis Brown reached out to me. Oh, okay. Um, and so, someone basically, someone who Anna Davis, who uh, is in charge of Curtis Brown Creative, reached out to me and said, "Look, would you like to, me to forward this on to Stephanie Thwaites, who's our one of our children's uh, agents?" Um, and kind of, that's where it all kind of kicked off because Stephanie Mm -hmm. back back to me almost immediately to say that she really liked it. But, but then, and I hadn't told her any of the history, but she said, I think it needs to be a middle grade novel. Mm Right. Okay. And so when she said that, I was like, right. Well, she's, she must be like enough people have said now, but unlike Stephanie though, had a very clear vision of how to make it middle grade, Mm -hmm. which is not anyone else had offered me. Um, and I just thought "Wow, well, this is someone who really knows what she's talking yeah. about
0: but um, the, the the whole success with the bath award, even to get shortlisted at, at first, that must have been such kind of vindication almost for the amount of work and time we'd spent in this book, yeah, finally it was yeah, getting yeah, recognized as something been great um
2: yeah, no, I know and I went to an- the award ceremony, not knowing that i was I was gonna win it um. So when they announced my name, it was yeah, it was really quite something. Cause, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, and the, when the, the novel came out a month ago, and it's you know it's been five years I think since I first started writing, and mm. so yeah, it's been a very long journey. But um, and it, it might be and maybe ten years since I first started writing novels.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but I mean, it's received huge plaudits already, even though it's been out for for a month it's got great reviews it's even been compared to philip pullman's stuff i mean it must be beyond your wildest expectations about it yeah no, it
2: is um no i can't quite i still can't quite wrap my head around it um yeah i mean it's the the best reviews to be honest have been like parents on amazon just saying that they're you know their their child wanted to stay up all night talking about it um you know, that that's that sort of thing, because, yeah. you know, ultimately you want, you don't care what adults think. You, you know, no. the adults are the gatekeepers. You have to kind of get, you have to get them on board, but use the children whose opinions matter. <laughs> so it's just been so nice to finally have, be able to know that, you know, children like this book.
1: Yeah, my, well, both, I'm, I'm reading it to both of my daughters at the moment I and mean, oh, they're right. loving it. Um, Amazing. They, they, they had a question for you, but you've kind of already answered it, which is why mm-hmm. is it called Orphans of the Tide? That was the question we had. Where, where did why why is it called Orphans of the Tide? Where where did that uh, the name change come from then?
2: Yeah, so it was. I mean, the vessel is what it was always mm-hmm. called in my head, um, but I also knew that it probably wouldn't be published under that title because it's not. It's a title that only makes sense once you've actually read the book, and therefore yeah. it's not. It doesn't really draw you in. Um, and when I first when we sold the novel to Penguin. They, that was one of the first things we had to do was come up with the new title. Um, and I think we did it in like a week. Um, and it was mostly me just sending them bad idea after bad idea <laughs> and then very politely kind of saying, mm, we think, you know, think this might that might be a little bit, you know, too too dry or, or whatever. Um, and then I think someone, I, I don't actually know who it was that came up with Orphans of the Tide, it was someone at Penguin.
1: mm mm-hmm.
2: Um, but it, it was to me, it was such a weird coincidence that it sounded like the title of my other fantasy novel. Um, and, I, I, yeah, it just sort of stuck, I think. And also, a, a few people complained that it was too dark, which I thought was, meant it was just right. <laughs> if, it, if it was just the cusp of being a bit too dark, because that's kind of what I was always... There's lots in this book that where I was constantly trying to push yeah. to see just how kind of dark I was allowed to be with it mm-hmm. um, and then being reined in but, oh, but, and finding that kind of like middle ground where it made, made my editor a bit uncomfortable um, and in fact we were I got to listen to the audiobook being recorded a, uh, you know a few months ago um, and I was sat there with my editor listening to it. Um, and there was this one particular sequence being read out and my editor did turn to me and said like, I can't believe I let you keep that in (laughs) (laughs) that was wonderful that was like, that was (laughs) my like, yes, okay
1: No, it definitely has that that feel of, like you said said before, sort of a a gothic dark fantasy you know, almost like a run down kind of world but certainly I know I'm not the target audience at all, but from when I was a kid, that was the sort of book that I would have loved to read. Mm-hmm. You know, that sort mm-hmm. of it, yeah, it, it, right. it puts you in that world, and it's a very clear world that you're you're able to see very quickly. I think.
0: And yeah. and and when you first started to write this book, you know, where did you where did the idea for it come? In? And and I suppose where do you get your ideas from? And and how do you how do you find the idea in the first place?
2: Yeah, it, I mean, it was kind of a convergence of different story ideas where I was trying to kind of simultaneously come up with different novels in my head and then realized that actually they would work, that it was just one novel with these different ideas in it. Um, so, you know, I'd been, um, I'd been off backpacking. I'd finished my PhD, um, and I decided, you know, I didn't really know what to do next. So I went, I kind of got my what limited savings I had left and went off backpacking. Um, And, you know, I was it was actually I was in uh, Stockholm in Sweden and they have this big museum um, called the Vasa Museum, which is just literally like a big old ship with this building around it. And it's by the sea. Um, And I became kind of fixated on the idea of a world where like, you know, build the the buildings kind of rise out of the sea and and the city is much apart. You know is really just a part of the sea and the ships kind of just you find ships just kind of moored inside cathedrals and things like that mm-hmm. um and then combined that with i'd been like um i just i don't know how it happened, but I ended up on just watching YouTube videos of whales exploding
0: <laughs> 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 too,
1: too much to drink <laughs> that night
2: yeah. <laughs> Um But I've just thought, wow. Okay, you know, it's so whales. If they die, if they die on land, very sadly, they just sort of swell up as they decay, and if you don't cut them open, they explode.
0: Oh, I didn't know that.
2: Is that yeah. some kind of gas buildup? Yeah, it's really. <laughs> <brutal>. <laughs> I just thought, wow, what a perfect way to start a children's novel. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I thought, well, okay, well, I, you know, it's. I, and I, then again, I got kind of, you know, struck by this image of a whale on a church rooftop, um, because I just thought, well, there's so many questions there. Hmm. And I find when I'm trying to write a story, I often I just I start with a strange image that demands answers. You know, you know why is the whale on a rooftop? Why is the church under the water? Um you know what, what? how are people going to react to this whale in an interesting way? Um, and that's how I came up with this idea for this very like superstitious place where a whale on a roof would be seen as this kind of a, like grim omen. Mm. Um, and then you know, I, so really, so much of the the DNA of the story came from just those moments of being like, well, why? You know, what is what is this whale doing here? um and then I, the final kind of you know ingredient was that i'd been tinkering with this idea of writing a um kind of historical fantasy novel about da vinci right um only have it so that actually da vinci was really a woman who had to conceal her gender because no one would take her seriously in you know at that time um and I, I i my my agent loved the at the time she loved the idea and thought I needed to do this, but partly I thought actually, I'm not the right person to be telling this story mm. um, I, you know I'm, i and um and also I don't know it just, just wasn't quite resonating with me enough, but I really liked the idea of having this young female inventor who is sort of brilliant but not really recognized because she lives in this patriarchal. Society, um, and then, and, and so I'd, I had her in the back of my mind whilst I was thinking about all this, and thought, well, she's the person who would know to cut the whale open. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it, it was really this kind of convergence of of, of ideas,
1: and it's also got. Um, I, I, I suspect that some of the comparisons that have been made to, especially to someone like Philip Pullman, is. It has this idea, or it seems to have this idea of, you know, a a city that's unquestioningly, sorry, unquestioningly following a sort of dogma and authority Mm -hmm. um, about something, but there is the main characters, Ellie and and her sister Mm -hmm. and stuff, are the ones that start to question that. I mean, Mm -hmm. is having a, was that a theme that you wanted to get in the book or was it just that came to it as uh, as you were creating the story?
2: um i think it i think it did i think it was my attention coming from a slightly different direction i mean to me what what i was kind of modeling it on like you know when you write a fantasy or a sci-fi story you want your kind of fantasy kind of conceits to explore some real world mm-hmm. phenomenon um and at the time, I think I was thinking a lot about like mental health and um, stigmas that surround people who are depressed or have some kind of, sort of mental um, health issue that means that they might be kind of shunned or um, um, just not really listened to or, um, or even seen as potentially dangerous um and that's really what i was trying to kind of tap into is this idea of okay this person who is the vessel um they are like infected by the enemy they have this evil inside them um and so you know on the face of it, it kind of seems you know it's like a witch hunt which again yeah. I, I you know is was was definitely something i did tap into but to make it feel kind of human and to really tap into that sort of emotional sort of core. I wanted it to be a story about, you know, people who are struggling with some kind of darkness inside them. Um, and that, that same darkness means that other people will mm-hmm. view them as dangerous and, and, and shun them and, and kind of force them to hide their part of themselves. Um and also the shame that comes from having to kind of hide this secret and not be able to tell anyone and just letting it kind of fester inside.
0: And and how do you, when, when you come to sit down to actually start writing, how much planning do you do prior to that point? Do you like to plan things out in advance or do you kind of just be a bit of a panther and just see what happens?
2: I think I'm a, I think I'm sort of a bit of both. It kind of comes and fits and starts. I will, I will write until I'm, uh, with as much kind of material as I feel I have in my head. And then I'll inevitably hit a, a wall and be like, right, I just don't know what happens next. And then I'll take a step back and I'll try and look at the overarching story um, and see where I'm going next. Um, but I do find it hard to see too far ahead. I tend to know how the story will end. Mm-hmm. Um, although actually I didn't, I didn't with Orphans. <laughs> I really didn't know how it <laughs> Um, usually I do, but yeah, this one did, I did not, and that was a bit of a, a hard process trying to figure out how this, how this story ends.
1: And I read as well that when you write uh, your first draft, you you like you enjoy writing in long form uh, in yeah. by hand. Yeah. Um, is that something you do for all your stories? And then at what's uh, and what is the process from taking that to presumably then? For the second draft or whatever you you'll put it onto a PC
2: yeah I, I I mean I wish I didn't write this way I feel like it would be much <laughs> more efficient but I I just I have to write it by hand first mm-hmm. otherwise I just I just I start editing already whilst I'm trying yeah. to write um I just I'm I, and you know obviously you know as it well if you're on your computer you it's much easier to check the internet um yeah <laughs> So, I just find that it also there's some there's something satisfying about the, in terms of actually when you're writing having something to show for it that's physical and yeah. real um and then be and then when I transfer that into the computer, it goes through when I transcribe it, it goes through this editing process without me even thinking about yeah. it, where I'm just moving commas around and fix changing words that aren't working. And obviously, and then you know, when I'm writing it by hand, you know, I'll, I'll shove in liberally, just say like, you know, she looked at X. She, you know, she felt X. You know, just there's just placeholders. Yeah. Um. But because I'm writing them, there's, there's there's forward momentum. I don't stop to think, okay, well, what's that going to be? And but often by the time I come back to it, I already know what it is because my brain's had time to kind of sort it out. Yeah. I
1: mean, because that's. You know, some other people that we've spoken to have sort of said that they'll, you know, every day when they when they sit down to write, they'll sort of reread the last section mm. of whatever they've written. And then um, they might make changes to that. But presumably you can't do that in long form. You just have to kind of pl- plough on, as it were. unless, yeah. unless I mean, what I often
2: do yes. is... Um... I'll I'll write long form at the end, kind of end of the day. And then the following morning, I'll transcribe it. Ah, Okay. And that often means that it means I start starting with something where I don't even have to think all I'm doing is transcribing it. But, but whilst I'm transcribing, it, I'm getting back into the mode of thinking about writing, thinking about the story. And so then I'll be a very, able to very easily just carry on straight into back into first drafting again. Yeah.
0: Uh, I suppose that means you kind of almost have two drafts done by the time you finish Yeah. The book, I
2: um. Yeah.
0: And, and, and how many drafts do you do you tend to do before you think? Or, and I suppose also how do you know when a book is finished is another question we've often...
2: Um, yeah, I mean, I think now it's very different because now I have an editor who who I can work with. And so I, I don't have to worry so much about giving them something that feels a little bit rough at the edges. Mm-hmm. Cause I know I, I just, I just need to show them the, the bit, the, the, the what the, what the bones of it are so that mm-hmm. they can tell me, you know, this is the right direction you're going in. in. Yeah. Um, I think before I had an editor, you know, I, it was, it was a case of trying to polish it until I just thought I couldn't improve it any further and you know using um you know g- g- taking it to writers groups showing it to friends um uh, my girlfriend is also a, a novelist so she's we we help each other all the time with our um with our uh, writing so uh, it, it's yeah i think it, having other people to kind of be like this is ready yeah mm-hmm. is a big
1: yeah cuz you can definitely i think especially when you're without that input from a sort of professional editor or something, I know I'm guilty of it, of just you keep going back to it and you can keep saying, oh, there's a bit here that I could fix or maybe it would be better if that that happened here or whatever. And you can keep revising it and revising it and revising it and it can be a bit of a, a difficult step to step away from it and give it to someone else at that point.
2: Yeah, and I think um yeah you, you it's it's really tough you have to know when just to say th- mm-hmm. this is this is fine but yeah um i think i sometimes i find i find with myself but also talking to other um other authors kind of kind of aspiring writers that um you will be y- y- sometimes you'll you'll be you know you the, the the time taken on a redraft should sort of diminish with yeah. each yeah but sometimes i would do things just like right i need to completely start from the ground up again Mm -hmm. um and you know sometimes it's it's so hard because sometimes that is what you need to do but i think when you are when you're one of the great things you have to learn and no one can really tell you how to do it is how to respond to feedback and to, to what lengths to listen to feedback yeah um and because, I, you know, I have seen people, and I think I've been guilty of myself, just completely revamp their novel on the basis of a single piece of criticism that maybe was said without too much thought. Or, yeah. And I think, for me, that was one of the biggest hurdles, was how to deal with feedback and how to know when to respond or when to ignore.
0: Yeah, and it's hard because no one, you know touch on what we said at the very start, you you put, so you put yourself out there, and then being told this does this bit doesn't work, you change that bit. It's you, it's hard to hear that sometimes. You kind of think, yeah. well, no, or you think, oh God, I need to change everything, and you, it can, as you say, it can spark a massive revamp. And it's, I, it's trying to follow that is difficult.
1: I think it mm. can sometimes. You know, I think as with all these things, there's a. There's merit in sort of letting it sit there for a while if someone makes a comment, you know, if someone gives you some feedback rather than reacting immediately because your instinct then is either to think that what they're saying is absolutely correct and throw everything that you've done away or immediately push back against it. But in fact, sometimes if you let time pass, you can sort of see the merit of what they're saying or say, well, actually, that's not right because whatever um so yeah. i mean orphans has been a, a huge success and is is there is it i've I've not finished it yet um, is there a plans for a sequel is it is it a book that could that could continue yeah the, on? the
2: sequel comes out a, in a year
1: oh perfect
2: in, well, in 11 months now actually awesome. um i'm still working on it um <laughs> so it's you know well it's uh, it's uh with all that's going on at the moment it's a little bit hard to be creative but yeah i'm yeah. kind of in the process of doing the second draft at the moment um which is proving quite a big redraft um but like kind of like you like you said actually when i when i got the feedback i basically just did nothing for a few weeks just to let my editor's feedback kind of filter in and it's amazing what your kind of creative brain will do when you're not really mm-hmm. actively engaging. Yeah. It. Like you just come, you, I came back in a few weeks and you know, my brain was just like, right, this is, this is how to do it. This is what you need to do. Yeah. Um, rather than kind of stressing over it and sitting at my desk and actively thinking like what on earth am I going to do? Um. It, yeah. It was, it's quite remarkable. Um. But yeah, so there's, yeah, the sequel comes out and then there's hopes for a third book. So it will, be a trilogy
0: awesome i um, I right in saying that when you got your got the book deal it was for two books and i'm assuming I, yeah. that it was yeah and, 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 and I, i'm assuming that means you've then got a bunch of deadlines you have to hit for this for the next book which you don't even started yet and suddenly you've spent five years on one book and you've got a yeah
2: year. um yeah it was so nuts especially since um you know, ironically, I wrote this I wrote this book not to be part of a trilogy because I'd be told yeah. to they weren't buying trilogies, but now this is going to be a trilogy. <laughs> um, and I've spent so long kind of dreaming about the chance to write a trilogy because every, you know, every fantasy author dreams of writing a trilogy, right? Um and so it's been quite exciting now to think about the the particular challenges of actually how do you write a series of books. Um, how do you make each one sort of stand alone by itself while still being part of a larger whole,
1: mm-hmm. um,
2: and and also be different enough while still maintaining the kind of essence of the predecessor?
1: So, I mean, did you, did you uh, you wrote this book as a uh, standalone, mm. which presumably means that your story that you had in your head was a complete story but now it's becoming a trilogy. So did you always have in the back of your head, well, if this continued, these things could happen kind of a thing? Yeah. Or did that pose a problem when you, you suddenly had to tell more stories?
2: Yeah. I, think, I think despite my best efforts, I'd al- there was always stuff left over unfinished because I still, part of me still wanted it to continue. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was always enough left by the end to continue on to something more um and yeah i mean it was what's very strange now is writing this sequel whilst getting kind of feedback and reviews on the first book Mm. and telling people telling me like oh i you know i love this particular part or i love this character and then Mm. me having to bite my tongue and be like well that character character is actually not in the sequel (laughs) um uh, and you know, also it's it's hard not to let the, all their kind of the things people like shape how I'm writing the second yeah. book, Yeah. and not just to give them what they more of what they have already said they enjoy. Um, so okay. it's quite hard to kind of in, enjoy the feedback whilst also trying not to let it affect your writing process. Yeah. I mean, it's,
1: it's it's I've I've said this before in the podcast, but I mean, it, it's the problem that I think George R R Martin must have with the remaining Game of Thrones books because. It, it the story people people now think they know the whole story, so that's probably yeah. why he has it's very difficult for him to sit down and motivate himself to to finish these yeah, books. When
2: you, yeah, when you've got everyone under the sun telling you yeah. what the plot lists are going to be yeah. and what yeah. uh, what drive there
0: anymore, is it really?
2: Yeah, and you, do you just go ahead with your intended plan, or do you try and like switch things up just to kind of yeah. Work?
0: You know you'll always be compared to the TV show. You'll always be compared with the yeah. choice that you made and they made, the characters yeah. ended up, etc
2: Yeah. I mean I think I think he's sort of done the best. The the what what he's done seems quite smart, which is basically just to let the T V show run its course. Yeah. Yeah. Um and then let the hype kind of go down a bit so that he can then step back in and tell his
0: own story. Yeah. yeah. I think that's right. Um, um, once, so you've you've got the trilogy, yes. ideally, and then once that's done, have you, have you got any plans to go back to your sci-fi novel? You think, or would you like um, to?
2: No, back? I think I think because that's an adult novel, and um, I think I have to kind of, I have to really. I think you have, I think I have to s- establish myself as a, and I think I, I I just I do prefer writing children's stories, so I think that's what I'm going to do for the for, yeah until mm. they as for as long as they'll let me basically. Um so I do, I have, I have uh, a couple of ideas, um, which, well, uh, which are already written really in, in first slats oh, uh, yes. and drafts, which now that it's
0: I have the last ones that, that you sent in.
2: Yeah. Uh, one of them is, yeah. Although it's quite different now. Um, but yeah, two, two of them, which I think are kind of quite unique in their kind of concept. Um, and one is yeah one one, in, one of them is actually a, a ch- children's sci-fi novel um but i think it has quite a lot of um what's the word uh kind of relevance at the moment cool
0: um so, yeah, is not really a is that a big i mean that that's the thing i would like to see more of i mean, I, I remember as a kid I think a lot of sci-fi I read as a kid was probably more adult sci-fi. You know, there was—I don't remember there being a lot of children's sci-fi. No,
2: and yeah. there isn't. There's a great, uh, there's a great one that just came out recently called Orion Lost, um, which uh, is same age group as mine, but it, it is is a rarity, and I don't really know why that is. Um, because you know,
1: yeah, it's a bit odd actually when you think about like you know Star really,
2: Star
1: Wars as a film is aimed at yeah. kids originally anyway. Um, yeah, and then um, there isn't, there aren't books in that genre as well.
0: No,
2: it's. Yeah. it's I'm, I'm not quite sure why, but watch the
0: space. There's going to be some, some big, yeah, changes happening shortly.
1: You can be the trailblazer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> is, is, are there any plans that you're able to tell us about about Orphans possibly being adapted into any other mediums? Media.
0: Um I uh,
2: it's I think it's still early days. I think what happens now is they try and sell the 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 rights
0: mm-hmm.
2: um to like film uh production companies. Mm-hmm. Um but then even then, even if you sell the rights it might, you know Yeah,
1: nothing. It could just sit on their, on their shelf. To yeah.
2: To see if anything happens. I think there's a lot of like I think the rights then kind of they go on a kind of game of table tennis where they get bounced about between companies. Um, but yeah, it's all a bit beyond me to be honest. <laughs> um, I mean, my my dream would be, uh, st- you know, Studio Ghibli that do yeah, like, yeah, and things. I think I think if they. I think I'd love to see Orphans of the Tide done as a Studio Ghibli film.
0: I can see it actually working very well in that kind of anime style, kind of fantasy yeah. with, with imagery or that you have in the book would work well on the screen like that. Yeah,
2: um, I think it would also make a great stage adaptation as well but um
0: that's that's just my dream <laughs> <laughs> and are, are, you, are you still working at the moment as 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 a in in the lab or are you still
2: yeah am well, not not in the lab at the moment with all that's happening but yeah uh, yeah still so I, I i'm a lecturer so um i'm going to be well, teaching online at the moment um and yeah so bal- balance balancing all of it is can be a bit tricky but
0: would you like to shift completely into the writing at some point or would you like to still keep up um, in, in the lecture I think, world
2: i think it's been really helpful to have a, a, a different thing mm-hmm. uh, especially since writing is very solitary mm-hmm. and it's very in your own head um, and teaching in particular is a wonderful way to feel kind of connected to people again and um, so i i think i'd always want to have something going on that allows me to you know communicate with people especially about something like science which is very different but which feels very kind of important um and i'll just keep you know i've i've been uh i've basically been a a a full-time academic all my life so um i don't just want i don't just want that to kind of go away yeah
1: What was the last book that you read?
2: Um, what was the last book? Uh, I so I'm I'm really bad at I re, I re, always have about five different novels on the go in rotation. Um, the last book that I finished, um, was um the Secret Starling, a children's novel. It's wonderful.
1: Okay, excellent. Um,
2: yeah
0: uh and what was the last film you watched um mm, what was it
2: um last, what was the last film i saw uh, i think it was the last star wars film that's terrible oh. <laughs> yeah i think it was the, the the final star wars movie which was just awful yeah,
0: <laughs> was I, yeah I wasn't i wasn't a massive fan of it myself
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I, I've
1: not I've still to see it but um, I think I'll <laughs> wait wait for TV. Um,
0: <laughs>
2: uh,
1: and a uh, last TV show or show that you're watching on TV at the moment. Uh,
2: uh marvelous Mrs Maisel. Okay. Oh, yeah. Was really good. Yeah. really
0: really good. Yeah. Like it's so well, the writing it. in that is just phenomenal as well. Awesome. And uh very very last thing is a quick fire either or so just Okay. Pick one. There's no right or wrong answer perhaps. Uh, so, <laughs> Northern Lights on the BBC or the Golden Compass movie? Oh.
2: oh, Northern Lights on the BBC.
0: I think that is a great answer, to be
2: fair. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, a real book or an ebook? Real book. Uh,
0: TV or cinema? Cinema. In, in a year's time, and this is all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, and another one for a year's time, um, a fancy restaurant or a takeaway?
2: Oh, takeaway. <laughs>
1: okay, nice one. <laughs> Reading five novels on the go at once. That's...
0: <laughs>
1: How do you keep track of that? Have you ever done
0: I'd, that? I, I would struggle, no. I i find if I have more than two open, I tend to just... One gets left behind, so I'll finish everything else and then And then I've... Kind of forget where it was
1: that I was actually reading in the first place. Exactly. No, and it also it's you want to be pulled in by a novel, and then when you yeah. are, yeah, I, I find myself wanting to finish it. But you know, um, obviously, yeah, obviously you, works for him. You,
0: when you go to bed at night, you've got five books on the bed the table. How do you choose which one?
1: Choose <laughs> exactly. Which one I, I know.
0: No, that's like going, going on Netflix and spending about as long as a film trying to decide it's, what to watch. And exactly, watch 10 yeah, minutes or something. And too it. much
1: choice. Just give me the one book. Exactly, and I, I can work through well, that.
0: Although audio books, I feel, are maybe the exception to that. I do. I can listen to an audio book and read a book at the same time. I suppose maybe last having different
1: moment. narrators maybe helps. So it kind of distinguishes it. Mm-hmm. So you can immediately get back into what that person was that's last true. telling yeah, you. Yeah. I don't know. Um, Struan did mention there that he just read The Secret Starling uh, and he couldn't remember the author. It was uh, Judith Eagle. So check that out if you're interested in that. Um, but th- huge thanks to Struan for taking the time to speak to us, especially during all of this madness that's going on in the world. Um, yes. Really, really appreciate him doing that. And really do recommend that you check out um, Orphans of the Tide because it is, it is a Great book, and I think we'll be hearing a lot more from Strain in the future as well.
0: Yeah, I think he's definitely one to watch for sure.
1: Yeah, and so uh, another one to watch, Derek, is our guest next week. Oh, absolutely.
0: Week. Uh, Laura Lamb is on next week. She is a sci-fi author, and um, well, she's also written up some young adult fantasy as well in the past. Uh, but her new book is definitely sci-fi, um, and it's it's a it's an excellent read. We've just finished reading it yeah. with ourselves, and yeah, it's. Highly, but it comes out end of the month.
1: Goldilocks think, is the
0: name of it. She probably yeah, said that. Yeah. Goldilocks, so. yeah. <laughs> and it's a feminist
1: sci-fi... Novel. Yeah, I think she describes it as, and I think this is a good description, actually, the Martian meets the Handmaid's Tale, uh, which yeah. is a very good, concise description of it. And, you know, it's got aspects of interstellar and arrival as well in, in that sort of literary sci-fi but Mm. but very readable you know what i mean um yes
0: it kind of hits a sweet spot for like a literary book for me in that it's it's really nice prose and it's but it's not too heavy with it you know it's Uh exactly yeah 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 yeah. no it's It's really good
1: it's great so and and we chatted to laura a lot she's also a tutor in creative right in creative writing we chatted to her about that and what she teaches and stuff which i think was Really valuable, I thought. For me, uh, I don't know about you, but so um, please do tune in for that one next week, which is going to be the last one in this season. But
0: season finale, it is
1: the big season finale. But don't worry, we're not going to be gone for long. Uh, given that everyone's trapped in their houses, we want to come back and, <laughs> and keep you entertained. So um, captive audience, exactly.
0: So, of course, as always, if you would like to get in touch, please, you can do so via Twitter, which is at right underscore gear, or you can send us an email to podcast at rightgear.co.uk.
1: Yep. And if you enjoyed that episode, uh, here's my weekly call out for ratings and reviews <laughs> on Apple Podcasts. We'd really appreciate that because it helps us go up in the charts and the higher we are in the charts the better the authors and screenwriters etc we can get on the podcast uh, for you guys to listen to so we'd really appreciate if you could take just 30 seconds to, to go onto Apple Podcasts and do that even if you don't listen on Apple you can still leave a review for us that would be great um, and yep. that's it from us this week and we'll be back next week to speak to Laura hope to speak to you then
0: see you guys next week
1: bye